Thank you so much for joining us today at our Savior's Church, where we are one church meeting in five different locations. And our goal is to help you on your spiritual journey to know God, find freedom, discover purpose, and make a difference in the lives around you. If you'd like to learn more about our Savior's Church or how to get involved, visit us online at OurSavior'sChurch.com. The book of Acts is really going to be the study that we're in. It's going to be a study of the history of the church, how it began, how it was launched, how did God use this ragtag group of people to change the world? Because here we are 2,000 years after the fact, and we're still preaching the same message that they preached over 2,000 years ago. They were successful in their mission. They changed the world. And we're going to talk about how that happens and, and what that looked like. And so we're going to start right at the very beginning. We're going to take our time with this series. We're going to be in this series for quite some time. And it's going to hit many different areas of your life and impact your area, your life in so many different ways. But we're going to start at the very beginning this morning. I want you, if you have your Bibles, go to the book of Acts um, chapter 1. We're going to go right to the beginning. And if you don't have your Bibles, you can pull out your phone or your iPad or your iComputer or your iEars or whatever it is that you have. And we're going to go to the book of Acts chapter 1. We also have it on the screen for you. And I'm going to give you a little bit of background right after this. So Acts chapter 1, verse 1, this is what it says. It says, in my first book, I told you, Theophilus, about everything Jesus began to do and teach until the day he was taken up to heaven after giving his chosen apostles further instructions through the Holy Spirit. So we're going to stop right there because I want to, I want to give you some background of, of this book. What is this book? Who wrote this book? What's the context of this book? Because important, it's very important for us to understand the context of the books of the Bible. And you've made, some of you have heard me say this before, but I want you to remember this as we study this book. The Bible was written for us, but the Bible was not written to us. This is important for you to know. The Bible was written for our benefit, for our behalf, but it was not written to us. The Apostle Paul was not in, in jail writing because he knew T-Boy from Delcom, 2,000 years later, was going to be reading this book and he needed to know this. There's an audience that the Bible was written to and we get to benefit from that. God in his wisdom, God knew we were going to, God knew about T-Boy. God knew this was coming, but the writers of the Bible did not know. They were writing this to a specific audience. So there's a context to this. And so the book of Acts was written by a man named Luke. Everybody say Luke. Now, Luke is the same writer who wrote the, the gospel of Luke or the book of Luke. And so there's four gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Now this book, now let me ask you a question. How many of you are, you like good cliffhanger movies? Anybody like good movies with good cliffhangers at the end of it? Okay, most people don't. Most of us hate cliffhangers. Like you get into a good movie and it's just starting to be good and then you see those dreaded words, to be continued. And some movies, like they, some of them, like you know in six months I get to see the ending of this. Some of them, like Star Wars back in the day for, for my older crowd, 
You remember you heard those dreaded, those, I mean, you heard those amazing words, Luke, I am your father. And then three years later, you got to find out what happened after that. And so most of us don't like cliffhanger movies because you know there's going to be a part two. At least it's coming unless the movie was horrible and they don't even bother to finish making the next one. Then you just pray and ask God to help you. Um, but there's a part two. So the book of Acts is actually the part two of the book of Luke. This writer, Luke, wrote this, he wrote the gospel of Luke to this man named Theophilus. We're going to talk about that in a minute. And the, the book of Acts is actually the volume two, it's the second part. They could have been the same book in two different volumes. And so you could have actually put these books together into one book, but it was divided into two. Now, this man, Luke, wrote this to a man named Theophilus. Aren't you glad you don't name your kids stuff like that anymore, but he wrote it to a man named Theophilus, and he was giving him an account of the history of the church, and the beginning of the church, and the work of Jesus's ministry. He was explaining to him from the very beginning how Jesus came into the world, the ministry of Jesus, and then the ministry of Jesus through his disciples. This is all important stuff for you to understand the background. Now, in the book of Luke, which is part one, he starts explaining why he's doing this writing. I want to read it to you. Luke chapter one, verse one says this. Many people have set out to write accounts about the events that have been fulfilled among us. They use the eyewitness reports circulating among us for, from, excuse me, the early disciples. Having carefully investigated everything from the beginning, I also have decided to write an accurate account for you, most honorable Theophilus, so you can be certain of the truth of everything that you were taught. So both Luke and Acts were written to this man named Theophilus. Now, what's interesting is the name Theophilus means loved by God. It means loved by God. Now, some people, some people believe, and I'm not going to get into too much of this. I'm just trying to give you the background. This whole series will not be teaching and history, but I want you to understand this so that you can fully get the context of what we're going to be teaching for the next however many weeks that we do this series. Some people believe that Theophilus wasn't a real person. They believe that because that name means loved by God, that it was written to just anybody who was a believer. Anybody who was loved by God. But I believe that, that this book was written so specifically, there actually was a person named Theophilus that this book was written to. And some people believe that Luke, well, the Bible tells us Luke was a physician. Luke was a doctor. And this is evident in the way that he wrote the book of Luke and he wrote the book of Acts, that he was very specific. Luke was an educated man. But back then, in those days, Doctors weren't the wealthy people who, you know, have the most successful lifestyles. Doctors were actually servants or slaves. So if you were a doctor or you were a, or you were a physician, then you were a slave to, you had a slave owner or you, you had someone who you were a servant to. And some people believe that Luke was actually Theophilus's servant. And that Theophilus gave Luke the permission at when he became a Christian to go and follow the apostle Paul. 
And so this is, again, this is the background. And, and the way Luke wrote this book, he wrote it with such specific details. Unlike some of the other gospel writers, he wrote it like an educated man because he was an educated man. So that's a little bit of the background about the, the books of the Bible. I mean, the book of Acts and the book of Luke. And this is important for you to know because Luke says this in the book of Luke. The ministry, this, the book of Luke was the beginning of Jesus's ministry. He says that. He said, I want to I write to you about the beginning, all the things that Jesus began to do. So the book of Luke is the ministry of Jesus that began. He began it back then. But the book of Acts is the ministry of Jesus continued. Why is that important? Because in the book of Luke, it was Jesus physically doing the work of the ministry. In the book of Acts, Jesus wasn't doing it in the flesh. He was now doing it through his followers. That's what we'll find in the book of Acts. The work of Jesus done through the followers of Jesus. Now, this is important. This is not just the book of Acts done by the apostles. Some people call it that. But you'll see there are more people than apostles that are doing the work of the ministry. Why is that important? Because you don't have to have a title in front of your name to do the work of God's ministry. You don't have to be pastor so-and-so or apostle so-and-so or prophet so-and-so to do the work of the ministry. The Bible even tells us that those things, those, the five-fold ministry, apostle, uh, prophets, pastors, teacher, and evangelists, our job is to equip the saints for the work of the ministry. So my job is not to do all of the ministry. I'm not Pope Gabe who does all of the ministry. My job is to equip you to fulfill God's calling on your life. I'm a pastor to you, a shepherd to you, but my role is to help nudge you in the direction of God's calling so that we, the followers of Jesus, can continue his work. That's what this is. Now again, who was Luke? I mentioned that Luke was a physician. I mentioned that Luke was an educated man. Luke was a companion of the Apostle Paul. Theophilus sent him to go and serve with the Apostle Paul, we, we believe. But we know that he was with Paul. And he got to see the Apostle Paul doing the work of God's ministry, planting churches, doing miracles, healing the sick. And so these, many of these things are firsthand accounts of what he saw God doing through him. Now let's go to the book of Acts chapter 1. Once again, verse 3. It says, during, this is what he wrote to Theophilus, during the 40 days after he, Jesus, suffered and died, he appeared to the apostles from time to time, and he proved to them in many ways that he was actually alive. And he talked to them about the kingdom of God. So this chapter 1, it starts where Luke ended and there's a, a tie over, there's a crossover. Just like in most movies, you, you, ha, you see a scene from the previous movie when you're starting a new movie. If you're starting a part two, you see the scene from the one that, so you kind of can bridge the gap. That's what happens in the book of Acts. And so Jesus is talking to his disciples and the Bible says that he was with them for 40 days, appearing to them from time to time. And it wasn't just his, it wasn't just the apostles that Jesus appeared to over the course of that 40 days. 
The Bible tells us in 1 Corinthians chapter 15 that Jesus was seen by more than 500 people. More than 500 people saw Jesus appear. He would show up on the road to Emmaus. He would show up in the upper room with the disciples. Jesus was showing up in all of these moments. What was he doing? Proving I'm a risen savior. Proving that he is indeed a risen savior. Now what's interesting to me is you have over 500 people who have an eyewitness account of Jesus rising from the dead. I would say that's proof. Yeah, we live in a day and time where we have people, we, we are taught this, our kids are taught this in school, that science is facts and religion is a belief. Or Christianity is a religious belief. Now, I'm for science. I'm for medicine. I'm for what science can offer and can bring. But let me be very clear on this. Science is not facts and the Bible just a belief. Let me show you what I mean. Let me tell you what I'm talking about. I graduated high school in 1999. I know some of y'all thought I was 25. I'm 40 years old. I have to say this all the time. I graduated high school in 1999. If you were to take a science textbook from the year that I graduated in 1999 and compare it to a science textbook right now, you would see two different things. Yet in 1999, it was a fact. And nowadays, it's a fact. Or how about this one? 400 years ago, we believed that the world was flat until we got into space and saw it was round. Now some of y'all still watch weird YouTube's videos and still believe that the world is flat, but nonetheless, it's not true. But it was scientifically a fact. Yet here we have the Bible that hasn't changed in 2,000 years and is still changing people's lives today. It is a fact. It is a fact. Now, Jesus talked with his disciples about the kingdom of God. And you'll hear me talk a lot about the kingdom of God because I believe that the kingdom of God was one of Jesus' favorite topics to talk about. This is the main point of what I want you to see. The book of Acts is about the mission of the kingdom of God. That's what this book is really all about. It's about the mission, how it happened, the history of it, but it's about the mission of the kingdom of God. So many times we think that Christianity is about our personal relationship with God. And I want you to know that that's very important. Your personal relationship with Jesus is vitally important. But if that is all we think our Christianity is, then we're not seeing the whole of it. Because as a Christian, we have a mission. Christianity is a missional movement. It is always advancing. It is always taking ground. It is always spreading the kingdom of God. And we miss something when we think that Christianity is only about I get to pray and I get to go to heaven. And this book talks to us about this mission of the kingdom that God has given us. Now, this mission was something that even Jesus' disciples didn't fully understand. 
Even after being with him for three years, seeing him die, seeing him resurrected and standing right there in front of them, they still didn't fully grasp this mission that he was talking about because everything in their mind was the contrary. Everything they had been taught prior to that was contrary to what Jesus was talking about. And they didn't fully get it the same way that some of us still don't fully get it. We are here to spread God's kingdom, not an earthly kingdom. And that's what Jesus was teaching them. You're not here to spread Israel. You're here to spread the kingdom of God. And you've heard me talk about that a lot because, again, this is context. I want you to fully understand what's, what's happening here. Our life's purpose, our calling, our mission in life is to spread the kingdom of God. Everywhere we go, we spread the mission. We bring, we, excuse me, we spread the kingdom. Everywhere we go, we're missionaries. We have missionaries that we've sent out in our church. I had lunch with a couple two weeks ago that we sent to Haiti, and I'm going to have them come back, and they're going to get to stand in front of you guys and tell you how it's going in Haiti. We have multiple missionaries that we, that we help support as they go out and, and spread God's word all over the world. But everywhere that you go, church, you're a missionary. When you go to your job in the oil field, you're a missionary. When you're cutting hair, you're a missionary. When you're in the school system, you're a missionary. Everywhere we go, our job is to spread his kingdom. It's good. So the title of my message this morning some of y'all are like, he's just giving us the title? I just want you to see this. The title of our message is From Come and See to Go and Be. From Come and See to Go and Be. We're not just required to come to church. We're required to be the church. That's who we are. Let's keep going. Let's go to the fourth verse, Acts 1. Once when he, Jesus was eating with them, his disciples, he commanded them, do not leave Jerusalem until the Father sends you the gift he promised. As I told you before, John baptized with water, but in just a few days, you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. And we're going to talk a lot more about that next week and understanding what the baptism of the Holy Spirit was in Acts chapter 2 and what the point of it was. And, but this was kind of a, hey, here's the mission, but before you go, I need you to go get filled up. I'm going to prepare you. I've been preparing you for years. But before I send you out into the world, I want to give you the power to do it. And we're going to talk about what he was doing and, and what he was trying to accomplish. And, because they needed the boldness and the power the same way that we need the boldness and the power to spread God's kingdom. But let's keep going. Verse 6. We'll come back to that one next week. Verse 6. So when the apostles were with Jesus, they kept asking him, Lord, has the time come for you to free Israel and restore our kingdom? See, that's what I was talking about. That's what I meant. Jesus is talking about what we understand now because we've benefited. But for them, they didn't understand it. They're hearing him talk about the kingdom. They're like, okay, so the kingdom's Israel, right? The kingdom is, is where we live, right? We want everybody to come to where we're at, right? Because they were a part of something called Temple Judaism. Everybody say Temple Judaism. 
which basically is a Jewish person who believes that the only place in the world to worship was at the temple in Jerusalem. Talk to you a little bit about that on Easter Sunday as well. But the temple for the Jewish person in that day, the temple was the place where God met with man and man met with God. And they believed that God was going to spread his kingdom. It was going to come through the, Israel, the Israelites or the Jewish people. And so if God was going to spread this kingdom, which they believed was their race of people throughout the world, the world was going to have to eventually come to the temple at some point. It was a come and see religion. It was to come and be a part of what we're doing, religion. And Jesus is telling them quite the opposite. He's saying, go and be. Go and do it. Go tell the world about me. Not invite the world to come and see me. Go show them. So from come and see to go and be, the disciples, they thought, okay, Jesus is going to make Israel this superpower in the world again. But if you've heard me say this many times before, God is not interested in building and spreading our kingdom. He expects us to build and to spread his. And he was doing something that they didn't understand. And if I'm being truthful and honest, the same way God's doing something in our midst, in our day and time that we don't fully understand. God has never lost control. 2020 was not like God in heaven going, oh, okay, what am I gonna do? Any of the angels have an idea? He never stopped being in control. And we don't understand why or what all the time, but he does, and he's got a plan. I, I read a, a, a little bit of an article, I'm getting off my, my topic for a minute. But I read an article, it was in the Los Angeles Times, and it was basically saying that I know everybody's concerned that America's becoming less and less religious. And let me just tell you, that's not a bad thing. It's not a bad thing that, that we're kind of losing God in our nation. That's what this article was saying. It was trying to, it was basically Novocaine to prepare you for the change of what the culture was trying to do. My brother-in-law sent that to me and I sent him a text back laughing in all caps because I don't care what the world says. Jesus said, my kingdom is eternal. It's not going anywhere. It is not going anywhere. But here's a hard fact as well. Here's a very hard fact. If our country and our nation becomes more and more secular, which it seems like that is very fastly becoming, that does not change the truth of God's word. And in some cases, that's just gonna expose people's hearts and make them see, I really wasn't serving God, I was just serving religion to begin with. Because when it's no longer popular, when you're no longer getting tax benefits for being a Christian, will you still be one? When you're not favorably looked upon because you're a Christian, will you still be one? See, that's when our hearts are exposed and we have to know, I'm serving him because he is my Lord, not because it is culturally popular or relevant. Because when I stand before him, he won't care how many people like me on Instagram and Facebook. He won't care how many people spoke highly of me. Sometimes I think you need people to speak bad about you just so you know you're doing something right. 
I firmly believe that one. (laughs) Meanwhile, back in the spirit, okay. These disciples didn't understand that Jesus was coming to build his kingdom. They believed it was come to Jerusalem, come to the temple, make this nation the centerpiece of the world again. And Jesus was saying, I'm sending you. Verse seven, he says this. He replied, the father alone has the authority to set those dates and those times, meaning when Israel would be restored. And they are not for you to know. In other words, mind your business. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you will be my witnesses telling people about me everywhere in Jerusalem, that's important, throughout Judea, in Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. So Jesus seems to, in that moment, brush off their question. They're like, Jesus, when are you going to make us great again? Jesus is like, "Uh uh-huh. I'm going to give you power to go out and to be my witnesses to the world, to Jerusalem, to Judea, to Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. What he's saying is, y'all don't get it. And y'all think that that's important, but that's not what's important. And this can almost be our context. Y'all are busy talking about politics. Or y'all are busy talking about end times. Jesus is saying, that's not what's important. What's important is my mission. What's important is go out and be my witnesses. I'm gonna come back one day, that's gonna happen. And if you think you know, you're wrong because Jesus doesn't even know, let alone the late night preacher from Picayune, Mississippi. (laughs) You don't know when he's coming back. None of us know when he's coming back. Are you pre, post, trip? I know Jesus is coming back and I got work to do. That's what I know. Politics, what about this and what about that? That is very important and we should be praying, but that is not more important than the work of his kingdom. And I know some of you don't agree with that. And let me just help you, you're wrong. That belief says, come and see Jesus is saying, go and be. Don't don't expect me, disciples and apostles, to make where you're comfortable great. Go and tell the good news to the rest of the world. Go and make my name great, is what Jesus is saying. It's like he's saying, go, go. Go, but what about this? Go, but what about that? Go, I'll take care of all of that. You go. I don't understand what God's doing. Let me tell you what God is doing. He's sending you to go. That's what he's doing. And he says, go and be. Be what? Be my witnesses. Be my witnesses. I'm gonna talk about that word for a minute. Witness, what does that word mean? There's three different, if you will, definitions of that word, that that Greek word. The first one is this, someone who saw something happen. You're a witness if you saw something happen. It's hard to convince someone that something doesn't exist if they witnessed it. It's hard to tell someone that something isn't real if they saw it with their own two eyes. Why? Because they have witnessed it. 
And again, as I said before, over 500 people witnessed Jesus risen from the dead. They saw it with their own eyes and they began to spread this throughout the region and throughout the world because they saw it happen. That's the first understanding of the word witness. The second one is this, someone who testifies to what they've seen in a court of law. Someone who testifies to what they've seen in a court of law. We are that. We are that. We testify. We tell the world about what we have seen and we have experienced. Some of you may say, Pastor, I don't know how to be a witness. I don't know how to do that. Let me give you some very practical tips. You share what God did for you. You don't have to understand Greek and Hebrew and have a degree or have a title. You don't have to have any of that. You just got to know Jesus. The disciples weren't college-educated people. They were fishermen. They were normal, everyday, blue-collar men. And Jesus used those men to change the world. Jesus used those men to the point where in the book of Acts, and we'll get to this, the, the leaders of that day said, these men, listen to this, don't miss this. These men who have turned the world upside down have come here. These men who have changed the world as we know it have showed up here. Uneducated fishermen. So you have the ability to share this good news, this gospel. That's what the word gospel means. Gospel means good news. How do I do it, pastor? You tell people what your life was like before you met Jesus, how he changed your life, and what your life is like now that you know him. That's called being a witness, because you're giving a testimony to what he's done which you've witnessed with your own life, which you've seen with your own life. That's being a witness. That's the, that's the second definition, if you will, of that word witness. The third one is powerful as well. And you don't have to know this word. I just learned it myself. But it's the Greek word martus. Martus, where we get the word martyr from. Now, for us, when we think of a martyr, we think of someone who is, who's died for what they believe in. That's kind of our understanding of what a martyr is. Someone dies for what they believe in. That's why the two words are synonymous. Because these men were willing to die and lay their lives down for what they had witnessed. They were willing to give up their lives for what they've witnessed. And let me explain something about a martyr. A martyr is not just somebody who dies for what they believe in. Because the truth be told, a martyr is someone who laid their lives down long before they actually died. Martyr is someone who said, my, Jesus, my life belongs to you. So when I'm faced with a decision of whether I'm going to lay my life down and get to keep it for myself, and that, listen, that can mean physically, practically, there's nations all over the world who when they become a Christian, they are, their lives are threatened. They could die for the faith that they believe in. It's not just a culturally relevant, popular thing. When they make that decision to serve him with their life, they know they put their lives and their family's lives at risk. And in that moment, they die to themselves. They become a martyr. A martyr makes that decision long before they get to that moment. These disciples 
most of these apostles were killed for their faith. Most of those men, most of the 12 were killed for their faith. That just goes to show you that their witness was real. Because they were willing to die for the fact that they witnessed Jesus raised from the dead and was their king. And I wasn't planning on sharing this, but let me just say this. Back then, it was, it was not a... They were looked at by the, the Roman Empire, if you will, as atheist. They were looked at as atheists because they didn't believe in all of the Roman gods. Rome was saying, this is all of our stuff we want you to believe in. They said, we're not going to believe in that. We're going to believe in Jesus. And even to the point where they would, in the Roman Empire, they would, people would come up to different members of the empire and they would say, Caesar is Lord. Caesar is Lord. And you would respond with, Caesar is Lord. So it's like we walk up to everybody and we say, what's up? And you say, I don't know, what's up? Nobody ever answers the question, you just say, what's up? So they would come up and they would say, Caesar is Lord. You say, Caesar is Lord. But for the Christian, they couldn't say that. Because they knew that their only Lord was Jesus. Which is one of the reasons why they were in such trouble. Because they refused to deify the leader of their nation. They refused to make their leader out to be their God. They could not even bring themselves to say Caesar is Lord because we as Christians have one Lord and one Lord only and his name is Jesus Christ. <laughs> Verse nine and I'm closing. After saying this, he was taken up into a cloud while they were watching and they could no longer, excuse me, and they could no longer see him. And they strained to see him rising into heaven. Two white-robed men suddenly stood among them. Men of Galilee, they say it. Why are you standing here staring into heaven? Jesus has been taken from you into heaven. But someday he will return from heaven in the same way that you saw him go. In that moment, Jesus ascends into heaven. He floats into heaven. And the mission begins. He began the ministry himself, but for the disciples, for the apostles, and for his followers, our mission began. Now, the same way I told you that the book of Luke, the book of Acts is a continuation of the book of Luke. The book of Acts has an end chapter, but it's still continuing. It's an unfinished book. It even ends sort of abruptly. And I believe that was on purpose to let us know our job is to continue this book. Our job is to continue the amazing work of God's ministry in all of the world. So church, as we dive into this book, I want you to see yourself in this book. I want you to be challenged by this mission. I want you to be challenged by the things that we see. We, we read these stories, these almost superhero-like stories that we read. And I want you to challenge yourself with this question. Am I a come and see Christian or am I a go and be Christian? Is this a coming, come and see church 
Or is this a go and be church? And I can assure you by God's spirit, and as your pastor, I will tell you, this will be a go and be church. Close your eyes. Let me pray for you. Lord, I thank you for the power of your word. Thank you for, God, over 2,000 years ago, you laid out the blueprint for how we are to live. For who, for us to realize and understand just who we are. We're not just a part of a religious system. We're not just a part of a congregation of people who gather with like minds. This is not a club. We are your people called by your name to spread and to, to spread your kingdom, to spread your name throughout the earth and throughout our region, throughout our areas of influence. Lord, make us a go and be people. I pray for a spirit of evangelism, a spirit of discipleship to rest on this congregation, to rest on us so that we make your name great in St. Martinville, in Brobridge, in Broussard, in the surrounding cities, the surrounding areas. And we thank you for that. If you're here this morning and you say, Pastor Gabe, I'm not a part of that kingdom. Jesus said it this way in the book of John. He said, you cannot enter the kingdom of God unless you're first born again. You're not a part of that. And what comes with that? The reason why Jesus came and laid his life down is so that your sins could be forgiven, so that you can be in right relationship with God the Father, so that you could become a totally new creation. Hence the word, the, the, the title, born again. He wants to make you a new creation and to bring you into his kingdom to be his very own people. If you're here today and you're far away from him and you know he's tugging on your heart, he's drawing you by his Holy Spirit, today is your day. Today is your moment. I want to lead you in a prayer. And this prayer, this process is as easy as ABC, admitting that you're a sinner, being honest with yourself being honest with God, be believing that God sent Jesus to die on that cross for you and see confessing that he is now the Lord of your life, that he is your king and that you're turning from your sin. The Bible uses the word repent, repenting from your sin, which simply means to turn and go in the opposite direction. With no one looking around, if you say, Pastor, that's me, I wanna pray for you. I'm going to ask you in the comment three to just lift up your hand and acknowledge that you're making that decision today to, to surrender your life to him. One, two, three. If that's you, lift it up. Lift it up. Thank you. Thank you. See your hand. Anyone else who say, Pastor, this is my moment. I want to be born again. I want to be right with God. Church, let's pray this prayer out loud together. This is our prayer of surrender to God. Say, Dear Lord Jesus, I believe that you are the son of God. I believe that on the cross, you died for my sin, for my guilt, and for my shame. I believe you faced hell for me so I would not have to go. And you rose again from the dead to give me a place in heaven, a purpose on earth, and a relationship with the Father. I turn away from my sin to follow you 
And from this moment on, God is my Father. Jesus is my Savior. The Holy Spirit is my helper. And heaven is now my home. In Jesus' name, amen.